Hey everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, a podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm one of your hosts, James Anderson. And I'm one of your other hosts, Colin Parker. Uh, I've also recently been described as a delight, and I just want that on record. Hmm. Uh, This is the podcast where we assemble the MCU timeline historical order sorry i was i had it and then james started going oh hmm, what? getting like really weird about it and i couldn't get through the rest of the sentence uh but you know the show it's the timeline scavenger show we take that timeline we go let's chop it up put it in the right order in historical order scene by scene or day by day until the end of time um but you know who i also think is a delight james is it is it me yeah, no, yeah, yeah for right, sure. Good. Yes, that was yeah, a yeah, long yeah. Pause, uh, and then you know a who, lag in the system. It was, it was right. Oh yeah, part. no, sorry. Zoom, Zoom was kind of catching up. Uh, you know who is also also a delight? Mike. <laughs> Were you going to try and say like my something, and then you just couldn't think of anything in time? The Rolodex was like my, and then I was like, I don't know, sister, I dog, feel, daughter, family. I feel like this, this is literally for this you. L- this literally echoes a joke they made in Community. I was just about to say like, that. I was going to say, this is, this is perfect for you. Because it's like, really, you couldn't say the... anything other than fight? It's like, it's like we're just going to fight. Wow, you're right. right. Wow, it's really hard to <laughs> it's say. really hard to say something that's not fight. Because uh, my brain was like, like joke, not joke, joke, not joke. Like, yeah. where, are we, where are we landing on this? Yeah. Um, this is not a joke, and that is that you are both a delight. Uh, so, James. Thank you. Collective. Just would love to know. Yeah, yeah. Where are we at in the timeline today? Listen, here's where we're at in the timeline. Um, we've gotten Howard Stark from a from a train, from a train where he was playing pool, <laughs> like a regular old dude. But now it's a regular new, train, regular pool. Now it's a new day. He's he's been poolside, and this time he was also poolside, but not that way, but in the other way. Um. So, but now I've randomly decided that now it's a new day because that works out for the plot and the sunlight that we see in this scene. I previously had it being just full on daylight when I broke the day last time, but that didn't work for me. So we made a quick, not a quick audible. Anyways, here's how the scene starts. We're going to start at uh, Agent Carter, season one, episode four. You're going to start at four minutes and 22 seconds. You're going to end at 36 minutes and 25 seconds, and here we go. Because his least known residence is under SSR surveillance, Peggy sneaks Howard into the Griffith. He gets into the dumbwaiter just before Ms. Fry comes around to see what Peggy's up to. The dumbwaiter trick isn't a new one, but Howard isn't exactly a rookie. He gets out of the dumbwaiter and into Lorraine's room before Fry can catch him. Thompson arrives at work to find that Dooley has been there all night. Dooley shows him the official report on the Battle of Finau, which is almost entirely redacted, and the general who redacted it died a month ago. Thompson suggests that they use the magic typewriter to send a message to their enemies, but Dooley says that he knows another way to send a message to their enemies. Go to Germany and interview a Nazi general named Ernst Müller about the Battle of Finau before he is executed. He leaves Thompson in charge. Peggy needs to get ready to go... Needs to get ready for work, so Howard talks to her mostly through the bathroom door as she's getting changed, even though Howard suggests that friends are comfortable changing in front of friends are comfortable in changing in front of each other. He wants to know which of his inventions Peggy and the SSR have recovered before he goes off to Rio. He explains that this way he'll know what inventions could still be on the black market. Peggy is suspicious. Howard gives her a camera pen. Peggy arrives at work to find Thompson in charge. He rallies the agents around the memory of Krasminski. Sousa is going to try, go try to pull a print off the phone that Jarvis used for the anonymous tip. Peggy is going to use her assignment to get everyone's lunch orders to ask some questions at the lab. She talks to Dubin about the progress being made on Sparks, Sparks? on Stark's inventions as lab techs set themselves on fires of various different colors. While Dubin is talking, Peggy rapidly photographs everything she can with the camera pen. While dusting the payphone for prints, Sousa hears two homeless men arguing in a playful way while they play cards. They are Fred and... No, they're not Fred and... I wrote Fred and George here and down below. They're not the Weasley brothers. They are Frank and George. He asks them if they saw or heard anything the other night, or if maybe one of them called in the tip. George tricks Sousa out of a nickel, and Frank, who doesn't like the implication that he would drop a, a... a penny... 
I'm not sure how much payphones cost, that he would snitch, attacks Susa, who easily defends himself. Meanwhile, the two smugglers who Carter and Jarvis defeated late last night try to explain themselves to Mr. Mink, who is examining an interesting-looking pistol. He kills the larger smuggler with an automatic setting and then gets the name Peggy from the large smuggler before shooting him once the normal way and then switching back to automatic to finish the job. Peggy returns home and, after finding Howard in Helen's apartment, sets up her bathroom as a dark room to develop the camera pen photos. As they're looking at the developed negatives, Angie knocks on the door, fetching her for dinner, which is apparently a service that Angie provides. Maybe her version of bringing home work, maybe her version of bringing work home with her. Peggy is going to fake sick, but Howard says she should go and leave him to finish the developing of the pictures and that she should bring back food for him. Sousa brings Frank into the station, but Thompson tells him that Frank will not be any help because he's a drunk. Frank rebuffs Sousa's efforts to connect, and Thompson tells Sousa to cut Frank loose. But Sousa contends that if Frank hadn't seen anything, he would just say so. Peggy goes to work stealing food from the Griffith's dinner buffet. Angie gives her a tip about stealing the rolls. Then all the women talk about the various they ways want they you to steal take food. The rolls. Sorry. I couldn't resist. <laughs> what is that? That's uh, Boy Meets World. Oh. It was also the episode that I was on for uh, the last years. Oh. On the schedule. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. Then all the women talk about the various ways they steal food from the dinner buffet on a regular basis. It's, hot, it's heartwarming in a weird way. Peggy yes. returns to find Howard looking disheartened. He informs her that all of his inventions are accounted for in the lab. Then he tells her that he needs her to steal one of them back. It's the Blitzkrieg button. That's the title of the episode. You press the button and it causes a permanent blackout. He's the only one who can defuse it. He gives her a decoy to swap for the real one. Jarvis picks Peggy up for the mission while Mink watches menacingly from his car. Meanwhile, back at the station, Sousa is on his last nerve with Frank. Thompson comes in with a bottle of scotch and a hamburger, saying that he's here for the dinner show. Thompson says that he'll give Frank both the scotch and the hamburger if he tells what he saw. And he immediately does. He saw a well-dressed man and a dark-haired woman. Thompson gives Frank the bottle and the burger, and Frank ignores the burger and just pounds the scotch. Sousa is disappointed in any number of things. Meanwhile, in Nuremberg, <laughs> Dooley arrives and is taken to see Mueller. Mueller says... Mueller then says this, which sucks, because I'm like, how bad could this guy be with this kind of humor? But then it's like, they're measuring me for my new necktie. Please excuse the gallows humor. So, like, I like that, but, like, he's a Nazi. Anyways. Dooley right. asks Mueller if he knows Brannis or Demidoff. Then he asks about Finnau, adding that if Mueller tells him what happened at the Battle of Finnau, Dooley will help Mueller escape. The escape that Dooley is referring to is cyanide. He pops open his watch and reveals little white pills. He says that cyanide is a painless death and no one would get to see the satisfaction would no one would get the satisfaction of watching him hang. Mueller tells Dooley that there was no battle of Finau. The Germans came upon a massacre at Finau, but that whoever did the massacring was long gone. Dooley says that he doesn't believe Mueller. Mueller counters that he's not ashamed to admit who he's killed no matter who they were, and that being said, no person died by German hands at Finau. Dooley gives him the pill and walks out of the room, telling the guard that he, needs a, that he needs a phone, and then offering the guard a breath mint from the compartment in his watch. So he, he gave Mueller a breath mint. Meanwhile, back en route oh, to I the... Oh, I misread that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was also giving... He was also killing the guard. The yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Also, cyanide is not a painless death in any way. Yeah, um, correct. Meanwhile, back... En route to the SSR, Peggy notices something weird about Jarvis as they drive to the station. She plays, a, she plays a hunch and asks him a series of questions about Howard and the Blitzkrieg button and all of that. Mink follows closely behind. Sousa is disappointed in the intel Frank supplied, but Thompson says that Sousa did a good job and that not every win is a notch in your belt. Then Thompson asks Sousa how and where he lost his leg. Actually, he says, where'd you get, where'd you get that lead? Russia? Italy? And then Sousa says, my femur, actually. And Thompson smiles appreciatively. What a good line. So good. All yeah. the while this is going on, Peggy is sneaking into the SSR lab. She opens the door and finds the lab empty. She searches the Blitzkrieg button for the prototype and then takes the real Blitzkrieg button into a back room, suspicious about what the ball actually does. She remembers Jarvis tugging at his ear as he talked about the ball. Peggy presses the button and the top flips open. In the ball is a vial of red liquid, possibly blood. She, she's leaving when she sees Sousa coming into the hall. She ducks into the nearest room. The room happens to be occupied by Thompson. 
Thompson is fishing the scotch bottle out of the trash can where Sousa threw it away. Peggy assumes that Thompson is drinking on the job. He asks why she works at the SSR. She gives a flippant answer about upholding democracy. He acknowledges the fact that she's the only one who has to take lunch orders. But then he says that that's just the natural order of the universe, that men will never look at her as an equal. It's sad but true. She is pretty affected by this, but tells him that he always tells her the truth, and then she goes back to the Griffith. Mink watches her walk in. He sees a flower truck in front of him and smiles. Peggy returns to her apartment and confronts Howard about the vial of blood. She wants to know whose blood it is. He says that it's Steve Rogers' blood, and she slugs him with a right hook. Mink comes into the Griffith in, in the guise of a florist. He asks Miriam, who I called Miriam and not Miss Fry, but I know her on a first name basis by this time in the day, <laughs> if he may sure. deliver it to her. She, of course, refuses, but will be happy to take them to her with a message. He watches her write down the apartment number, in very big handwriting, where Peggy lives, and before she can finish her information gathering, he's left. With a cold pack on his eye, Howard defends himself from Peggy's accusations. He tells her that he knows that she cares about Steve to a similar degree that he does and that he was trying to protect her. This does not go well for him. He then switches gears and talks about how the only way to break through ceilings and that society is placed above certain demographics, be it poor or a woman or whatever, is to learn how to lie. But he recognizes that he shouldn't have lied to her. He apologizes and she moves past it, asking why he has Steve's blood. Great question. He then tells her that he was one of the lead scientists on Project Rebirth, which of course she knows, and it's wild for him to tell her that. When Steve was getting all that blood taken in the episode released on July 8th, 2022, 11 vials went to the government and one went to him. If the government knew he still had a vial while their 11 are running low, it wouldn't matter if she cleared his name or not. She asks why he deserves to have Steve's blood, Howard says that there are extraordinary things for public health that can be done with the blood. Steve Rogers can continue to save lives even after he's gone. She angrily accuses him of trying to make a profit. He is offended and he continues to... He continues to accuse... She continues to accuse him of being self-centered, greedy, opportunistic manipulator. She storms out and tells him not to be there when he returns. Meanwhile, Mink has snuck in via the vents. He creeps up to Peggy's door. At that exact moment, Dottie comes out of her room. She asks if he's lost, and he pulls the automatic pistol on her. He, her demeanor immediately changes from optimistic helper to curious wild animal. She tells him that she wants his gun. Then suddenly she ricochets off the walls and leaps up and breaks his neck and lands in the classic Black Widow pose. It's then that we realize a couple of things. Dottie, in addition to being the girl interested in Howard's vault at the end of 1945, is also the woman that killed the family man with a knife when... Fenhoff was recruited by Leviathan, and probably also the little girl that was being trained with the other little girls in 1937, given the fighting style. Mm-hmm. So, that's our episode. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and we will... <laughs> no, so it's a long day, um, but uh, where shall we start? I have information, I have Avengers Ensemble, I have info we have stuff to talk about food to talk about where are we starting mike oh wow let's go uh with avengers ensemble and and talk about uh, all the different people we've got to talk cool can can, can mike get avengers ensemble for 400 sure yeah this um this person that that howard makes out with was also in a previous (laughs) episode who is lorraine who's played by sarah schreiber she was poolside woman number two in the one shot, and even though we recorded that fairly recently, she has an update. She is in pre-production on an episode of a miniseries called The Decision, playing a character named Patricia. <laughs> Neat. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> so good. You know what? Good. I'm always happy to see people getting work. Absolutely, I, I love it. Even if they've worked for the WWE. Can I make one uh, interesting? I mean, you know, the WWE is not the worst place in the world. Right. Better than the WWF fucking panda. So I like this this version of Jeopardy that we've done, which is that you know Mike has selected the the category, I selected the amount dollar yeah. for him, <laughs> and then you at, gave the answer and also the question. Didn't even let us buzz in. You just sort of yeah. did. That means I get four hundred dollars. I don't know if we if we all know that rule, but like Mike sends um, me four hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's why points. Alex Trebek had so much money. Right, right. Yeah. He could afford all those suits and mustaches. <laughs> you those were fake? I didn't say that. You said that. Uh, well, okay, that was the implication. So, here we go. Um, Terrific. Next, more, we have yeah. Ernst Mueller, played by Jack Conley. He was in one episode of Westworld, six episodes of Doc McStuffins as Dragon Bat. Now, to you two, Doc McStuffins might not mean anything. It is a children's television project 
children's television program and a children's television program about a the child of a doctor who can bring her toys to life and fix them. It's very important to my children growing up, and it's wild that this man who's playing a Nazi was on six episodes as Dragon Bot. <laughs> That's called range, baby. Range, you know baby, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Jack of all true. trades, Conley over here. That's really that's really funny. Good that's job, a good job. The, He was in The Purge Anarchy. He was in one episode of American Horror Story. Again, he was in six episodes of Doc McStuffins. Just wanted to come back to that. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. <laughs> he was in one episode of The Mentalist. Uh, by the way, Colin, uh, if you write this down, I would like a uh, piece of Timeline Scavengers merch that says one episode of The Mentalist, please. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's at least two or three shows I there, think that we've brought up a lot. But in my research one. for tonight, uh, which mm-hmm. is, of course, November 13th, 2022. Uh, one episode of The Mentalist is like, sing like it all together one. now. Absolutely. He <laughs> was in Fast and Furious, which, of course, is Fast and the Furious 5, I think. Okay. Or Isn't that six. Fast 5? Oh, yeah, maybe. It may be 6 then. Okay. Anyways. Get, hey, you want to know what's the second time we've done on this show? <laughs> is me Googling which one? He was in yeah, which one exa- again? Uh, fast and Furious. No thes. Okay, that is... Get the the out. Yeah, like WWE said with the F. Yeah, yeah, we're making references yeah, to yeah. that again. <laughs> uh, Fast and Furious is the fourth one. Oh, dang. That was right, which is interesting because it's, it, I don't know, it, it's weird. The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift was the third one. Right, but it's more of like a right. side quote, right? Like I've never right, seen it. Right, which but, is very yeah. interesting that then it's Fast and Furious, but then Fast Five. Right, where they canonize Tokyo Drift into the timeline. And Correct, yeah. Uh, my friends yeah, and that's I... Yeah, that's where I'm sure you're going next. With, with Once you're done with the MCU, you're going to the Fast Universe. Done with the MCU? No, no, no. We are weaving them in. Um, yeah. well, oh, what, what else did we weave in recently that was like... To, to be fair... Was it Mission you, you Impossible? You got some time until you <laughs> Yes, it was. Well, it was. It was off air, but James started talking about how Mission Impossible <laughs> could fit into... Uh, the MCU, and so that was a whole conversation yeah. for at least an hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my friend, unrecorded. Yeah, it was just on Messenger. It was sure, just yeah. on Messenger, oh, and okay. like it was all be. It all started with just James being like, out at of that nowhere. point, it's like this is a bonus episode. Let's go. We're talking like it's like a Tuesday night. I'm just sitting there enjoying my time doing whatever, and James suddenly is just like. Hey, so you know in Mission Impossible Four, and I was like, "Okay, stop! <laughs> what happened in one through three? Like, you're I'd coming watched at in the me three right, previous nights, of course, right? Which is, but I mean, yeah, you, yeah. you're coming at me it, now, just starting at four. <laughs> I have had no idea that you've watched yeah. one through three. James is going a hundred miles an hour, and Colin just like, "Whoa, what, what, right. what was that truck? It's as if I'm a, a sandstorm approaching the tallest building in the world, which is located <laughs> in uh, what's that pl- place called?" D- um, Dubai? Dubai, yeah, Dubai, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah it's the, the Burj Khalifa, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I popped a window yeah. out and the sandstorm's coming and, and Colin's the building and I'm like whoosh, like what Can happens just, in Mission Impossible Four. I, I just want right. to say on record, Tom yeah. Cruise is quite literally crazy. And like the fact I mean, like I get that he's like, I want to do all my own stunts, but some of those I just feel like maybe should be left to the professionals. I mean, at this point though. Isn't he, I like guess. He, but like at like the same he, time. The number the years of experience. I've, uh-huh. I like think he I also, is the most well-paid stunt person in the entire world. I don't remember which one it was, but one of those movies did make me say, at this point, they're not even writing scripts. He's just hiring the camera crew and say, just follow me. And it's just yeah, like, I'm just going to jump out of this plane. With Angelina Jolie, Kong. Oh, yeah, yeah, true, yeah, yeah. But that was with Angelina, not with him, so. Right, right, right. But that was, right. Hey, so okay. um, <laughs> he was on one episode of Supernatural, one episode of House, he was in the movie Fun with Dick and Jane, which was where Jim Carrey and Taylor Leone become bank robbers because they are trying to find some meaning in their life, and it's a very good movie, and it's a remake. He was in one episode of The West Wing, eight episodes of Angel, one episode of Freaks and Geeks, one episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He was in L.A. Confidential, which is not this season, but it is almost certainly one of the basis for season two, and he was in the movie sure. Apollo 13. The guy that played Dubin... A person so forgettable, a character so forgettable that I didn't remember who it was, but he is the lead scientist who doesn't set himself on fire. Is played and also does, and his glasses like are have been melted off of his correct, face. Correct, correct, correct. Yes, he is played by Kevin Cotillier. Um, he was in two episodes of The Event, which I believe is a sci-fi thing that uh, Aaron's husband yes. really liked, and he was in Men in Black too. 
I don't think I ever finished the event, but I definitely started watching it. It seemed like a lot. It was one of those things where I feel like I totally understand wanting to have suspense. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, and, and everything like that. But like, I felt like they were not getting to the event mm-hmm. in enough time. And I feel like after like the fourth or fifth episode, I was like, OK, this is uh, if you're not going to give me anything, why am I watching? Right. And so right, I right. turned it off and I never Ish. found out how it ended. And I honestly don't care. Well, you know, Kevin Connellier, uh, those two episodes where the uh, Newsweek magazine said, boy, Kevin Connellier sure did rock those two episodes <laughs> of the event. And I'm sure he did. Yeah. Uh, Frank is played by John Bishop, uh, which sounds like a fake name. He does voices in The Last of Us 2. He was in one episode of Good Girls, one episode of the 2019 Swamp Thing, where he may have played the titular character, but I didn't remember what that guy's main uh, real name was. And also Ted something. No, that's uh, Man Thing. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. He was in one episode of Bones. He was in one episode of The Mentalist. Play that Bones. theme music. Hey, uh, one episode of the list. Um, he was in Volcano, which was that Tommy Lee Jones movie where it was versus a volcano. Remember that with the lava? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also in Apollo 13. He was in Silent Night, Deadly Night, which was one of the astounding number of Christmas themed horror movies, and he was in the original Footloose movie with Kevin Bacon. So. Anyone wow. in this season of Agent Carter is direct has one has one degree of separation from Kevin Bacon, and it is John Bishop, and that's a piece of trivia for you to take to the bank, where they well, yeah. cash in on degrees mm-hmm. of separation. Yeah, when you're at pub trivia, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, drop that one down, even if it's not the question you're being asked. Absolutely, and you'll get the you'll get the point. Right, it's write it in, and like maybe they'll accept mm-hmm. it. Who knows? Yeah, George, the other guy uh, who just gets a nickel for his troubles. <laughs> Um, was played by played by a guy named Tim Desarn. Um Desarning women. That my my brain <laughs> there's no reason for that brain. Shut up. Uh he was in one episode of Better Call Saul, one episode of Castle, one episode of The Mentalist, but The Cabin in the Woods, one episode of Mad Men, one episode of Lost. He was in Live Free or Die Hard, which I believe is the fifth one. Um, he was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, which I couldn't even tell you what number one that is. Uh, he was in five episodes of Deadwood. He played Philip Watson in the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, which I believe is Mary Jane's dad. Yeah. Um, so he was her dad in that. Um, he was on two episodes of Star Trek Voyager. He was in Gone in 60 Seconds. He was in Fight Club. He was in one episode of Deep Space Nine. He was in the Shaquille O'Neal Superman movie Steel. He was in Hell yeah. a movie called I Love You, Don't Touch Me, which is just a great title. Uh, I can't imagine <laughs> what the, the plot is on that one. He was in Tales from the... It's basically Five Feet Apart or whatever that movie was, but it's uh, in the early 90s. Um, he was in a movie called Tales from the Crypt, colon, Demon Knight. Not colon, Demon Knight, but the punctuation, demon, colon, and then oh. demon uh, he, I figured it was a demon knight in, in his color. Right, exactly. Um, he was in one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which does mean that he was on Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and TNG, which is cool. Uh, and he was in one episode of Quantum Leap. Uh, Carol, who is the woman who uh, had a built-in pocket for a full chicken to put down her sweater. <laughs> full. The best, the best, the best. And it has pockets. The... <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. It's terrific. Uh, she was played by Bonita Robledo, which is cool, uh, who was in 14 episodes of Teen Wolf. And then, stop the presses because we need to talk about something for a second. She played a character named Skylar in an eight-episode web series called Interns of Field, which is an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. parody. That's amazing. And it stars, among other people, Jonathan Lipinki who is the little child in Jerry Maguire. And if you have seen anything on the internet, you'll know he is incredibly buff, and he is that in this too. So in terms of field, uh, I have a link that we could put in the bio for the full eight episodes back to 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 back that they put on YouTube. So agents of field, and yes, field is all caps, each letter separated. So just in case you're 
Uh, Vera is a character who her main role is to point out Gloria, who we'll get to in a second. Um, she is played by someone named Megan Holder. And I wrote, she was in a lot of stuff, just none of it really geeky. So let's move on. <laughs> no mentalist. So no, 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 no mentalist. No mentalist. She was too good. She's a, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Someone <laughs> needs to keep track of when we find a woman who was in one episode of The Mentalist because it's not going to be in this episode of, the, <laughs> of our program. All right. So. Let's move swiftly on. Gloria, who has the pocket fo- pocketbook which can hold a whole thing of gravy, is played by a woman named Joanna Strap, which is the uh, Lex Shrapnel. Of I was just about name. to say yeah, that. Yeah, that is yeah. definitely. It's a good. Name. Yeah. yeah. Um, Strap and shrapnel would be would be a tight. Like, I would read that comic thing. book all day long. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> They're um, they're uh they're I'm gonna get like, my their, strap their on, their I'd say, and people would be like, why did you mm, no I'd <laughs> say their ship name would be Strapnel. Strapnel, for sure. Which I think yeah. would be And great. meanwhile, James Wilcox is like, Why am why am I getting a ping right? Right, exactly. That's what he calls it. Okay, so she was um <laughs> in one episode of she was in one episode of Superstore, which is an excellent show. Uh, she was in a movie called Velvet Buzzsaw, and I've heard of that movie, but I don't know what it's about, but I did write it down because if you see the words Velvet Buzzsaw on a screen you take that note. Uh, she was yeah, in one episode. It's a pretty cool you, name. Yeah, you got to. Um, so soft, so deadly. Joanna Strap. Uh, she was in one episode of Medium, <laughs> which may be the one episode of Mentalist, uh, the softer yeah. side of one episode of Mentalist. Um, and she was in one episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Uh, Mink, Otto Mink is his name. Uh, he is played by Gregory Sporlater. Uh, he was in one episode of American Horror Story, six episodes of True Blood, one episode of The Mentalist. Uh, he was in Seventeen again, which is a movie that is very, very good. Uh, he was in one episode of Twenty Four, one episode of Smallville. He was in Being John Malkovich. He was in The Rock. He was in Twister. He was in Cheryl Crow's All I Want to Do video. And if you think that that is '90s as hell, hold on, strap in, go to Joanna and get a get yourself all secured. He was a hold on, I'm ready. All right, she's like, okay, here, here, here you go. Who are you? Um, so then he was in the movie Renaissance Man, which is a movie we've talked about before on this program. Wow. Um, with Danny DeVito and uh, Marky Mark and others, including oh Gregory Sporlater. But I think he was Greg Sporlater back then because he was in his 20s. Uh, he was in True Romance, and he was in A League of Their Own, and his debut, the movie he was first in, was Say Anything, which is cool to have as your debut, and it's and it's just fine as a movie. Um, and then Helen, who is the second person that, that Howard Stark is in the room of uh, in this uh, episode and then on this day, is played by someone named Lacey Escobar, not Escobar, Escobar with an A. Uh, she had an IMDb, and now she doesn't. Oh, no. What? what? She has an Instagram. She has a Facebook. She has a LinkedIn. She's a ballet dancer, but she doesn't have an IMDb anymore. There is literally but, no IMDb. There's a Lacey but, Escobar, but she was, which is she not She was her. in the show. Right, and she is Can't. right. She's not How credited anywhere out, in because uh, of the MCU wiki. Our friends over in the MC Wiki. Is on that wiki, they said she used to have one, now she doesn't? Well, they had a link that was linked, and then, and I guess it could have been a space-holding link. Yeah. But all okay. of the other links are populated with things that take you to things about her, so. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. And that is Avengers Ensemble. That was a fun one. That, was, like that, that, one. Was, that, was, that was a good time. That was a good time. But the fun has just begun because now it, we're going to get into some stuff that happened. Oh, Mike, can I, what was? Yep. No. Oh, yep. I was going to say, since Mike had the board last time, can I yeah. have the board? Sure. Uh, I would like uh, Marvel slash, uh, sorry, Marvelous mm, slash Marvelicious uh, for a thousand. Okay. That takes us to guestion number two. This is how we're doing Marvel parentheses EC, which I think is something in French and parentheses <laughs> O-U-S. Uh, this is the Marvelicious edition. Uh, and here's the question. It's both a guestion and a hostion. And a meestion. 
Let's talk about some experiences we've had eating a big group meal on the scale that they eat one in this, which is like boarding boarding home, sort of like family dinner, but like it's the whole apartment complex sort of deal. Mike, do you have an experience of eating sort of a big group meal in this way where it's sort of like buffet style? I don't. It nothing comes to mind. Okay. I mean, I I lived in a dorm, sure. Which so you've got a lot of like dorm meetings where they'll have pizza okay. and stuff, sure. but not like here's here's a chicken to stuff down your chicken specific shirt, right? Or what have you, right? Um, but I mean, I guess that's the closest thing. I mean, I've also been to. I I I, I used to work, uh, which is funny. Uh, I, I changed jobs since we mm-hmm. last recorded. Um, and it was very funny to be listening to myself talk about my job. I'm like, that's not my job no more. <laughs> anyway, in my previous job, like it was a large company and we'd occasionally get like catered lunches and stuff like that. So that is also kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so yeah, I, I've certainly had those experiences. I don't, uh, they're fine. I right. think any kind of catered meal would definitely count because like, that's basically what this is. Like, uh, I don't necessarily know cause I don't think they really show it. I don't know if there's necessarily a kitchen there. Oh, I would imagine there is. I was gonna say, or if it's like, like, kind of like a deal with someone like down the road who like just, you know, yeah. comes in like, you know, like with a thing every day and it's like, hey, we made whatever. Here's uh, my, but, here's my. I bet Fry has girls who live in the building hired to work in the kitchen. That's probably true as well. It's like a discount on rent sort of deal. That's probably yeah, very fair. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say that. Uh, sorry, one second. Like how I mean, she pays so, Andy okay. to get people for so, dinner. Right. Yeah. Uh, so for banquets uh, and stuff like that, or like that sort of deal or like, yeah. you know, just catered things. I've definitely been to. So like my grandfather on my dad's side of the family was a pastor in a mm-hmm. Southern church. And so sure. like they Paula. would definitely have like oh, uh, sure. not every week, obviously, but after sure. certain functions like your homecoming mm-hmm. um, or whatever, there would be a lunch portion. Oh, uh, sure. And so like downstairs it would be kind of almost like a potluck. Basically, everyone would bring in like food and stuff like that, but it was like real Southern home cooked meals. Uh, and like, it was interesting because like you had a really interesting mix of like some people being like, I'm Southern, so I know how to season things. But right. then there was also a good mix of like, I'm white. If it's not salt and pepper, it's too much. In fact, no, even that might right. be a little, little, little strong. What so, if it's I'm sure. white if it's not salt and pepper, the the musical act, and I listened oh, yeah, to that okay. while I was making it. I don't think they definitely knew about that. They were mm-hmm. all like in their 80s for the most part, it felt like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if... What a man indeed. Uh, um, yeah, uh, so <laughs> the other thing I was going to say, oh no, but I will say, I think the best like banquet style or what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? A catered meal yeah. that I've ever had mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. when I was looking for... Um, a uh, college to go to for my MBA. Uh, I went to a college. One second. Sorry, there is a train. You might not be able to hear it yet, but I can hear it. Three, four. Okay. Uh, so I'm not going to name them because they didn't accept me, so mm-hmm. they don't get the free advertisement. But I will say it was in Texas and. Uh, they were catered by a uh, taco place. And so they had a oh, nice. a like taco catered, like, you know, buffet type thing. And they had the freshest avocado I've mm. ever had in my life. And I like definitely, and like we, were, it was great because they, throughout the day, they were just kind of like, listen, like there's plenty of leftovers. Don't feel like you can only eat a little bit. Like, please like please eat this food they're like we paid for a lot of it so you know we were like okay well don't you know fuck, don't mind me and like it was incredible at one point i straight up was just like i just have some avocado slices and like a tortilla and i was just like uh, because i was like i just want to eat more of this avocado it's good uh and the best queso i think i might have ever had as well mm. so that was well. great that was a that was a good day Colin Parker. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> then like oh, I was going to say there was one more. What a good memory for a place that then would go on to reject you. To be fair, the caterer did reject. That's true. Yeah. Didn't they? I mean, I, the I, caterer absolutely I will, high marks. I will say the this. college, maybe not so much. I, I, I'm not necessarily like bitter though. Like I was saying like, oh, they didn't accept me. So I'm okay. 
I'm actually not bitter about it. Like I knew that it was extremely competitive. They right. had less than 200 slots available. And the group that I was there with on that day for open house. And it's like, they had like, I think 10 weekends of open houses or whatever, mm-hmm. um, f- leading up to like th- when, when they start making decisions, there was at least like 90 people there. Mm-hmm. It was a mm-hmm. it was a big group, and so yeah. I was like, if that's how many people are here every time, right? That's way more people than can possibly be here. So like, I knew going into it that it was going to be difficult, and like, I had actually met with a few people to talk about. So it doesn't matter. Sorry, I'm getting into a, into a tangent that's not important. Did at all. you did um, when you were eating the thing? Did you say so? What's it going to be, guys? Is it going to be a avocado or an yava an avocado? No. And so anyway, uh, my other like, favorite yeah. that feels like more of a James thing to say. Yeah, I don't talk to also, people I, about those James. Things. I just I feel like listen, I love you. You've had better ones. Yeah, this is the problem. <laughs> Here's the deal. I think avocado no or yavocado would have been a better uh, order of it because it was hard to go into that yeah and then an uh, it, yeah. So sure. anyway, it's not um, the joke. It's the order in which I told you. Sure, sure. Yeah. 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 The joke's not bad. Right. It's the people listening to it that were wrong. That's right. You, the listeners. Right. Is, is it me that's out of touch? No. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I've had a, I've been to quite a few uh, things that were catered that were very, mm-hmm. very good. Um, but I, I don't want to sit here and monopolize. So James, mm. have you had a good? I, uh, when I thought about this question, I thought of um, when I went to, I went to, I think two or possibly three, uh, you know, like two weeks or three weeks each uh, at a Christian summer camp when I was in like okay. eighth, ninth grade, seventh, eighth, ninth, maybe um, out near actually uh, Bucky's town, Colin, um, by, okay. by Frederick. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they had, I, when I think of this kind of meal, like they had like a specific like dining room that was like, you know, three steps down from the main like floor, like the ground floor. And like it was that like um, t- like the, the old school tile, like that's like, you know, has all the little specks on it that are like whatever. And like there was like bug juice and like all these all these people sort of eating and like um, just sort of serving themselves up. It wasn't like like this meal that they're having in this is like um, some sort of roast uh, mashed potatoes, gravy. There's like two things of vegetables, uh, and then some rolls, and then some apple pie. Um, and it wasn't like that because we were again like uh, upper middle schoolers or lower high schoolers, so they weren't gonna be like, "All right, and here's your guys's just slices of meat," um, <laughs> because they were like, "Here, have hamburger." I don't know what we had, pudding probably. Um. But yeah, that 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 kind of like uh we're all having this meal together and it's sort of like fancier than like like a Chinese takeout situation or like sure. uh, even like a you know, uh oh, Chipotle catered this or whatever. Um it was like this is a meal but there are 50 of us eating it and uh right. a big right. long table and stuff. So that was that was my nearest thing. And I you know, that's a f- that kind of food memory is sort of like uh, whatever, but like the camaraderie and the sort of, you know, like looking across the room at like yeah. the cute girl that was over there or whatever. That's sort of what I remember about that kind of stuff. And this, this scene has that the cute too. Girl that's also eating the same kind of food. Right. So. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so true. There were, there were many a cute girl in yeah. the, in the scenes. Absolutely. What's up, Bridget Regan? Um, so um, I think that from here, I want to go to question number one because now okay. I have control. Of the Seems board. like the now right you have order for this. Over the board as yeah. the host. So here's question number one, and okay. it is something that we've talked about a little bit, uh, and we will for sure talk about a little more. Uh, I think Mike first, then Colin. Have you ever invented or fashioned something specifically for smuggling food? Huh. I don't. I, I I generally have not had a situation where I need to smuggle food very often. Wow. How some people uh, live. My, Jeez. M- well, my family, my family, it wasn't a normal family where you would eat at. You know, you you'd have like a f- family sit down dinner or whatever. Mm. 
So we would all take our food into the living room and watch Jeopardy and Wheel oh. of Fortune, you know, the 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 are normal sure. and you or you know as time went on we'd watch food network which is always very funny while you're eating food you're watching right. people make food it's right. like this is entertainment and yet you're um, watching compare and yeah. contrast where you eat your yeah, food exactly and we make better food yeah this is good spaghetti oh but they're making bolognese <laughs> on the television uh no but like i never needed to smuggle anything because mm. it was never like who no one cared right like the theater or anything like an official event did you ever i well i'm i'm probably to some extreme a rule follower Mm -hmm. when it comes to uh theaters i do not smuggle food into Mm -hmm. theaters although i now go to theaters that uh serve food sure Sure. um so but I, i i'm an extreme rule follower so i even in a situation where you could smuggle food i'm like i'll just buy the popcorn it'll be okay right Enough, so I'm 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 not a uh, uh, I'm not I'm not like a Han Solo if that makes sense. I it hmm huh. okay because he's a smuggler. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. There it is. Not a nerf herder, just a smuggler. Right. Unless what he's smuggling is nerf. Oh. It's nerf herder uh-huh. or nothing. Herder. <laughs> that, do you um, know that guy that was the singer for nerf herder makes like Boku children's music now? I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's weird to hear him say Courtney Love sit on my face and then think about him uh, doing children's music, like lots and lots of children's music. Colin, do you have an answer to this, uh, this question? Uh, <laughs> yes and no. Um, I don't. I can't really think of anything that I've necessarily invented to be mm-hmm. like a, a food smuggler per se. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that like the first time I ever saw a walking taco, uh, that was a pretty life changing event, and I definitely made many in my day. Do you know where walking taco is? <sighs> So for the a, listener, like I I know and James knows, right. so but for, let's just define it for the listener. I will say some people do call it something else depending on the region that you're from. Okay. Some people call it a taco in a bag. Yes, um, with a Doritos so, bag. Yeah, yeah. Right, so it's a Doritos bag that you open. You kind of crush yes. them up just a little bit so you can put like your meat, your lettuce, your you know pico de gallo, whatever you want to put in there, sure. your sour cream and stuff. Kind of shake it up a little bit and then you kind of eat it up. Spaghetti. And then you eat gotcha. it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't put the first version in there. Uh, I will say this, though, because this is, to this day, I think one of the funniest things I've ever witnessed. I have witnessed someone have a food smuggling situation, though, that I truly was inspired by. Okay. Okay, Um, this sounds perfect. Every year, uh, my cousins and I go to a couple different conventions together, but one of them is GalaxyCon in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And a couple years ago, uh, we were out there. This is like the last one before COVID happened. In fact, straight up, it was like a couple of weeks before right. COVID first hit America. We didn't have any confirmed cases yet, but we were literally all talking about it. Um, but uh, what happened was is there was a thing that happens there, which, Mike, you would love, I think. Um, okay. They have something called the FSCW, which is the um, Federation of... Oh, I forgot what the S is, but uh, it's um, space cosplay wrestling. Oh. oh, that sounds awesome. And so what what it is is they basically put on a WWE style show and they do intros and, and they cut promos and all that other stuff, but they do it in cosplay. And it's actual That's people terrific. who are wrestlers that are on like the indie market, uh, but they tour okay. with this company for like a couple of weeks a year to go to like the four or five events that they get hired for or whatever. Hmm. Uh, for example, one of our favorites is Wreck-It Ralph. He's incredible. And I follow the guy that plays Wreck-It Ralph on Instagram because he's just genuinely a pretty cool guy. Um, but uh, the best character there for sure is Skeletor. He rules. Every mm-hmm, time sure. he walks out there, it's, it's, it is an incredible vibe. Everyone will cheer him on despite him being a villain. Like, cause usually you're like, yeah, for the heroes, but he'll walk out and everyone's freaking out and then he'll silence everyone. And everyone just shuts up and there's like a good pause and then finally a Meow, and everyone's like, yeah, everyone. Love Waluigi. Yeah. This year, yeah, that, he, or that, the, this particular yes. year, he also did like a promo like live on stage. I think the first year he didn't have a moving mouth technically. Sure. So they sure, sure, so sure. they didn't do that. They just did the Meow, right. And then everyone's like, yeah. And then he just wrestled. But this time he had like a moving mouth and then he had the microphone and he was roasting every single duo on the stage and it was incredible the best one being uh junk rat and roadhog from the game overwatch 
where he's like, yeah. ah, Junkrat and the man who ate him. And everyone was like, ah. Anyway, anyway the whole point, though, is that <laughs> we're watching this, right? Yeah. This great thing is unfolding. And all of a sudden, Kirsten, my cousin's partner, goes, guys, 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 guys. It's like getting our attention. We're like, what? And we all turn to our side. And there's a man who has been watching, just picks up his backpack in his lap, has unzipped it, and has just pulled fresh from the thing, no box, no anything, a slice of pizza and begins <laughs> oh, to eat no. it. And we're like, that's crazy. Now, granted, there, could there be a box in there that we just couldn't see? He just like pulled it out of the box from within the backpack? Maybe. Maybe it was in a bag. We don't know. But from our view, it just looked like he pulled a slice yeah. of, like it's a video game a video inventory. Game. Yeah. James, perfect. <laughs> My favorite part was then when we were like, that's crazy. And then 10 minutes later, he picked the backpack back up and we all went, oh my God, is he going to? And sure enough, he pulled out a second slice, baby. And I was is like, what a genius. Is it them? Like, is it generate? <laughs> is there a little status it's, bar it's on the a, duck It's a bag of like, pizza. He was crafting this whole time and was like, oh, yeah. my timer's up. I yeah, can, ooh, yeah. mm. <laughs> my inventory is full. <laughs> I've, taken a short, I've taken a short rest. Now <laughs> I can conjure pizza. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's one of my favorite stories of uh, smuggling food. I sure. think it was from the outside too. I think that's the thing is that like right. he just conjured a slice of pizza and suddenly it was there. And it was wait, awesome. but I love the idea of him purchasing <laughs> multiple pieces of pizza at the con and then secreting them away in his backpack as if anyone For cares later. that. Yeah, love. Or just that. like going like I don't want these right now. Yeah, but I will probably want them later. Yeah. We, we put the space heater in this backpack, and we've burned down several backpacks, but it's all been worth it for this. Here we go. The perfect slice. Meanwhile, I'm, meanwhile, I'm just thinking, I call upon my deity, Little Caesar! <laughs> he, yeah, he it's was the... Uh, and it's ready. Yeah. Is it good? No, we doesn't matter. Hot it's hot and, and it's ready. ready. <laughs> That's my favorite tweet of all time. It's very good. Hey. So let's it talk is. about, so now we have leftover, we have some notes, or we have, uh, so the last two headings I have are fun info slash notes, or in the comics. Colin, or Mike, you have the board. Which one are we doing? Uh, let's go with notes. All right. So, uh, um, Ms. Fry says that Peggy has been out at uh, all night at the, one of those taxi dance halls, and I was like, what? is that because it sounds either like you're dancing on cars or is it worse and the answer is yes of course it's worse a taxi dance hall is a type of <laughs> dance hall where dancers usually young women called taxi dancers it's all adding up are paid to dance you with usually male patrons the owner of a taxi dance halls the owners of a taxi dance hall provide music and a dance floor for their patrons and taxi dancers in the United States during the 1920s and 30s when taxi was when taxi dancing was at its peak patrons of taxi dance halls would typically buy dance tickets for 10 cents each. When they presented a ticket to a taxi dancer, she would dance with them for the length of a single song. Taxi dancers earned a commission on every dance ticket that they collected. The ticket-a-dance, that is hyphenated, so I said it like a fancy person. It's also uh, italicized. So um, when I was in school, I had some, uh, my calculus teacher made you say things in an uh, Italian accent if it was italicized, and that was a fun part of calculus. <laughs> the ticketed dance system was the centerpiece of the taxi dance halls. By 1925, the taxi dance halls were coming under attack by reform movements that insisted on licensing, police supervision, and succeeded in closing down some taxi dance halls for lewd behavior. After World War II, they were the dance hall crashers? They were. Dude, I bet that's what that is. Come to think of it, maybe. Or maybe that's just moshing. Anyways, dance hall is a whole thing. There's a whole other, etc. Um, after World War II, the popularity of da taxi dance halls began to diminish. In the 1930s, 50 cities had taxi dance halls. But by 1954, that number had dropped to just six cities. Only 10 taxi dance halls remained in New York City by 1952. Most of the taxi dance halls disappeared by the 1960s. Many historians say that the return of the saloon and the cocktail lounge of post-Prohibition America contributed to the demise of the taxi dance hall. But other people say it was millennials. And other people say that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so You in were the some... one giving us the tickets for that. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. We didn't ask for the tickets. You just gave us the tickets. <laughs> yeah, every, everyone gets a ticket. Um, uh, something <laughs> that... Uh, so basically, in translation, uh, Ms. Fry is using a an 
outdated way of subtly implying that Peggy is a sex worker. It's, it's a fun. Cool. It's yeah, both old fun. and like from Ms. Fry's perspective, insulting. So yeah. Um, then like the later, original Karen, the the original Karen, Miriam Fry, absolutely. Um, so, never, never once before has a Karen existed. Exactly, she is the proto Karen. Um, and so, uh, if we cut to the SSR, uh, Dooley is talking to uh, Thompson about going to Nazi Germany, and uh, Thompson is somehow questioning, like, you know, are you sure you want to go all the way there for whatever? And uh, Dooley says, "I'd let Garing give me a hickey." If he'd get me to the bottom of this dedicated professional. I mean, like there, Hey, I was watching it today with, I think episode 21. And I was like, boy, jealousy does not look good. on. No, no, it wasn't episode 21. It must've been 15. I was like, jealousy does not look good on you, chief. Like it is ugly. You mm-hmm. are jealous. Um, yeah, it's been Peggy. Anyways, forget it. We'll get there. Uh, so two things, Hickey and Goring. Here we go. Hickey is a love bite or a mark on the skin made by biting or sucking during four player sex. That is a 1934 definition. 1915 definition, uh, which of course is earlier, uh, a hickey was a pimple or skin lesion. So in the, I'm doing quick you math can here. You see how it moved. 19 though. years. I think mm-hmm. I got that right. Uh, it was like, yeah, but what kind of skin lesion? lesion? Ah, sexy one. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's the sex one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... That's what a hickey is. Just for everyone joining us, um, go to bed. You have, you have middle school in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Gehring, uh, I looked up the Gehring, uh, Hermann Gehring uh, Wikipedia, and it sucks. So <laughs> let's uh, let's do the Cliff's Notes here, which is what I wrote. Um, Hermann Gehring was basically vice Führer and did a lot of fucked up things. So like, think really bad Nazi that was still alive in the spring of 1946. And here's the interesting part. Interestingly, Goering did take cyanide on the night before his execution. So this might be like that thing that happens on procedurals where it's like, this is based on this crime, but we're going to call out that we're going to call that thing it's based on out in the show. So we can be like, it's not that where it's like, this is based on Charles Manson. And in the show, they're like, what are you? It's a regular Charles Manson. And the other one's like, no, it's different. So you can have plausible deniability that you just ripped off the whole thing. Uh, and I think that's what that is. That Mueller, they're like, all right, well, he's a Gehring type, but let's make sure that it isn't uh, a Gehring thing at all. Uh, the next thing I have is when Dooley leaves, uh, Thompson says, good luck, chief. And Dooley says, thank you, chief. And it is adorable because he, <laughs> now now Thompson's, now, you know, I'm the chief now. Um. Now let's get into some products. Let's get to capitalism straight away after, uh, you know, I guess more capitalism. Um, camera pen. I camera searched pen. camera pen. Oh, by the way, I have been getting ads for the feather, the Singer Featherweight 221 sewing machine all over my Facebook uh, ever since we recorded that with as last week, Colin. Love so that. that's good. Yep. Uh, how can you tell that something that you talk about in a 1940s television show still exists? Facebook ads. That was an ad for Facebook ads. <laughs> Uh, camera pens, you can... <laughs> I don't think Facebook ads needs an ad for itself, but... Maybe that's the only thing they need. Um, so Call that meta. <laughs> oh, That's very good. Man. That's very good. There, there, there's, a, there's a victory dance happening. Every time it's, I see an advertisement for meta, I think it's a Marvel thing, and I'm like, ooh, what? Oh, crap. Um, so... <laughs> oh, I've clicked it. Damn it. <laughs> uh, that looks like a good movie. Oh, ah, damn it. Um, so the camera pen Howard presents as he worked really hard to make it. It's one of its one of a kind, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, nowadays in 2022, you have your choice of camera pen, all of which appear to be less than 150 dollars, and they take movie. So, I guess what I'm saying is, screw you, Howard Stark. All right, so now let's move on. Take that, take that. Of you didn't think your technology would be superseded and. Eighty years, Absolutely. did you now, jerk? Now, of course, you're not wrong. I could literally have one here, thanks to Amazon Prime, in two days. That's right, Colin. For forty dollars. That's right. Plus Wouldn't tax. it have been wild if that was a guess? Um, so I went on. <laughs> well, I was just curious. <laughs> no, yeah. How, when, when you said they were cheaper than a hundred, 
Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, how cheap? And then I was yeah. like, wow. Yeah. Like, you mean like cheap or cheap? I mean like 150 like, is like the nice ones. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I, I heard, I don't know what happened. You said 150 and I, in my head, I heard under 100. Less than 150. Is what oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. Um, because I saw that the most expensive one was one hundred forty nine ninety nine. Um, nice. So you know, technically, um, the Gatling pistol, which is what I called it, but no one else calls it that. Um, I did look up on I am I International Movie Firearms Database IMFDB, which we've visited many times before. Uh, and here's what we found: a rotary pistol is used by Mr. Mink as his main weapon in the Blitzkrieg button. Season one, episode four. The pistol is similar in appearance to an Allen and Thurber pepper box revolver, but the barrels are different and it appears to have a cyclic rate similar to a Gatling type gun. And I was like, yeah, a Gatling pistol. Come on. <laughs> Did you know anything about weapons? Well, you listened to James. fired a gun before. Um, and then anyways, he is seen using, blah, 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 you know, whatever. I think the interesting thing is, he it switches. He you see him switch it from like yeah. Gatling to like single shot, and I think that's a cool thing that us, no one is really exploring. Not that they need to. We don't need more. Anyways, forget it. Um, uh, <laughs> Peggy says that she do this thing. Ah, you don't need. Yeah, to. you don't it's need fine. to do it. Um, you can if you want, but you don't need to. Um, the right to keep and research arms. So, um. Peggy says that she has the last five pages of the new Agatha Christie book to read, and that's why she can't stay and hang out and talk more food smuggling, um, <laughs> which is for sure what they talked about for the rest of, of one. And then, like, Fry <laughs> came course. in and was like, back in my day, we used to have a backpack that had you could store sandwiches in. For your applesauce. Yeah, backpack for your applesauce. And she's like, you you don't get that joke, but your kids are going to have children that listens to podcasts, and you don't know what those are, but that will be a spinoff <laughs> into a YouTube. Don't you don't there's know what YouTube whole, is yet, but they'll There's a whole thing on TikTok. <laughs> it's great. I, mean, like I also love the idea, though, that Fry would walk in and go, I have also smuggled food, which is insane to me. I mean, she was Fry young. Yeah. No, no, no. Fry, to me, Fry has always had that air of arrogance. Well, and, and... wait for the new Disney Plus show, Young yeah. Fry. And and yeah. before Ben and, and Mike get all freaked out, um, it's not it's that not Fry. It's not thing. Yeah. Oh, thank God. She's the ancestor. I was worried there for a moment. Ancestress. What? <laughs> no, don't make any connection to Futurama or else we have to cover it. You have to cover this episode separately. His words not legally binding. Let's <laughs> let's be clear. I don't know. I don't know what James James has got some power to him. You signed the thing. What? So she says she what? has to read the uh, the last five pages of the newest Agatha Christie book. Christie book. Uh, frustratingly, in 1946, uh, there was a book release, but I couldn't tell whether it was pre or post April of 1946. But let's assume it was pre. And when she was reading The Hollow, uh, Lucy Angate. And Cattell invited Hercule Poirot, Hercule Poirot to lunch to tease the great detective. Her guests stage a mock murder beside the swimming pool. Unfortunately, the victim plays the scene for real. As his blood drips into the water, John Christow gasps one final word. Henrietta. In the confusion, a gun sinks to the bottom of the pool. And then it says, Poirot's inquiries reveal a complex web of romantic attachments. It seems everyone in the drama is a suspect and each a victim of love. And then Bon Jovi starts playing and they're like, yeah, all right, this, I like this. I can get down with this. Bon Jovi's a time traveler. Um, sure. Yeah. We, As all, we, all know. we all know that Bon Jovi leap. Um, and, uh, my second to last note is, uh, could you make one of those that holds pickles? Which is what Dottie says after she looks into uh, Gloria's purse to see the, to confirm that there is a gravy holder in that pocketbook. She says, could you make one of the, well, she says, well, she doesn't say golly because she's not, uh, she's not Gomer Pyle, but basically she says, well, golly. Um, and then I wrote, and I found this very funny when I read this back today after having written it like three days ago. Dottie Underwood, spy and heartless killer, being absolutely adorable, talking to a girl who has a gravy compartment in her pocketbook. Uh, it's the best thing. It's just the best thing. Uh, and then uh, Nuremberg Prison, to take a hard left into bummer land again. Um, the juxtaposition. Yeah. 
when this takes place, the, de- the defense of the Nuremberg trial was presenting counterarguments. This is where you get your we were just following orders sort of stuff. Uh, it says, mm-hmm. but it kind of seems like in the MCU, the Nuremberg trials were basically already done because they're going to hang this guy, Mueller, in April as opposed to like October when they actually started executing people. Mm-hmm. So those are things that are having to do with things that happen in the sh- in the show. And now, unless we have any objections or further thoughts about something that happened in the show, we have in the comics, um, which is not called, I'll see you in the funny papers because it's not that show. So, uh, General John McGinnis. It, it, I, I can't, please describe every panel, though. Right. It, was, it makes me feel at home. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. No. Um, For the sake of time, let's not. So, General John McGinnis <laughs> is Agent Carter only. He is not a, uh, a comic book character. Uh, same for Dubin and Otto Mink. However, Ernst Mueller is a real character, and here's his deal. First appearance, Sergeant Fury number 14. By the way, Sergeant Fury is a comic book we're going to be talking about almost exclusively on the episodes we're recording tonight. Uh, Ernst was a member of Baron Strucker's Blitzkrieg Squad. The Blitzkrieg Squad was a team of elite Nazi, Nazi soldiers assembled by Baron von Strucker when he ordered, when he was ordered by Adolf Hitler to destroy Nick Fury's Howling Commandos. Each member of the squad was selected to be able to best a member of the Howling Commandos on their field of specialty. He was picked as Reb Ralston's opponent. Reb being, yes, this is a Southern gentleman that can ride a horse very well. We won't worry about why it was called Reb. His name was Robert, and we're going to assume that's the only reason he was called Reb. Um... But I guess that means that Ernst Mueller was very good at riding horses uh, as his the thing that he's like evil horses guy. Uh, and finally, and then Colin can break into the Stark vault. Uh, it says, after Baron Strucker's disappearance, the squad came under the command of Colonel Claw. And I was like, wait, Colonel Claw? And yes, that is Ulysses Claw's dad. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I am... <laughs> You know it, it's, I mean. it's cool in, in one way and like, yeah, exactly. It's cool like in terms of like, you know, having yeah like just more lore and saying like, oh, this guy was yeah. kind of always bad because yeah. like his dad was also, you know. Yeah. Um, although, you know, I don't think that we should suffer for the sins of our father. But like, obviously, if we mm-hmm. have follow in their footsteps, then for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Claw had a sound, sonic based weapon. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so uh, you know what also sounds good? Breaking into the Stark Vault. So <laughs> let's do some social media because it's the fastest. If you would like to follow our show, you can follow us at Timeline Scav. If you would like to follow the network that we're a part of, you can follow at Scavengers Net. If you'd like to follow me to talk about uh, where you caught your shrapnel, uh, you can follow me at Colin M. Parker. If you would like to talk to James about um, different uh, pockets and things like that of that nature that you have mm-hmm. stuffed food into. Uh, mm-hmm. Where can people reach out to you? Well, I'm trying to find a better name than the Pickle Pocket because that's not going to sell to anyone but James <laughs> Wilcox. So uh, you can hit me up with uh, all your product name ideas uh, at Unabashed James. And if you would like to talk to someone about whether or not a gun should be called a Gatling gun or whatever... Uh, where can you reach out to Mike? Mike, that's that's what they you want people to talk to me about. Uh, you can reach me at uh on the failing uh website Twitter mm. at t h e g i g g a s the gigas. I, I will say that's a fair point. By the time this episode comes out, all of this information could be vastly uh incorrect. <laughs> Twitter could be literally gone, uh, which would be a real fucking shame because let me tell you, the weekend that we recorded this, I put in some fucking work on Twitter and uh, I really hope it's not lost to the ethernet. Ethernet? I meant to say just the ethernet, Elon, but Elon I ended up saying the ethernet. Yeah. Ooh, that's, you so, know, I, I, I appreciate the punch up, James. Uh, anyway, so uh, one last person that you should follow though, is the guy that made the music that you heard at the beginning and the end of this podcast, which is Nick Bermald, uh, who you can follow at N-B-R-A-M-A-L-D or nickbermaldcomposer.co.uk. And with that, we are done officially. So thank you so much for listening. As always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. And I'm Mike Snyder. Excelsior.
It was as the gravy, I like it. Yeah, it was a gravy Excelsior. It's that. Can you do one of those for pickles? Excelsior! Correct. <laughs> The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.